talking about relationships and uh, within the workplace and especially how we can serve at the workplace as Christ's representatives. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. To give you an overview of today's class, we'll begin by thinking through what it means to be Christ's representatives in the workplace, and then we'll see how that plays out in a number of ways, and then we'll wrap it up by thinking more specifically about how that relates to evangelism. So first, Christians as Christ's representatives. Would someone read 2 Corinthians 5, verse, and be, uh, I guess the only verse there, 2 Corinthians 5.20. So, as Christians, this is not just certain people, but all of us, we are ambassadors for Christ. We serve as His representatives. So the question that we want to answer today is, what does that look like in the workplace? What does being an an ambassador look like within the workplace? Well, it means that we reveal who Christ is and what He's done for us fact that He has reconciled us uh, to God through His work on the cross. And so our being representatives for Christ looks like at least three things. And you have them there on the front page of your handout. First, gospel proclamation. That's the primary application that Paul is making here in 2 Corinthians 5.20. We reveal Christ by talking about Him. No one can come to Christ unless they hear the message of the Gospel. How can they call on Him, Paul says, in whom they have not heard? So we have a responsibility to actually tell the Gospel, not just to live it. We do need to live it. That's what we're going to talk about next. But, but it starts with a proper explanation or a, a proclamation of the Gospel, talking about Christ, about the Gospel with our co-workers. Secondly, we reveal Christ through confirmation. That is, that that our lives ought to confirm what we believe about the Gospel. It's not that that we just simply say, hey, Christ is Lord over all, but we actually live that way. That is, that we live as if Christ is Lord of of all because we believe it. And um, so we do that despite the pressures that we receive from our boss or or despite the pressures we receive from our co-workers, we confirm that we believe the Gospel by living according to it. And then, thirdly, we are ambassadors for Christ through demonstration. Through demonstration. I recognize that's not much different than the previous one, but it's a little bit different. That our lives can actually live out pieces of the Gospel which further proclaim and confirm the Gospel. For example... The idea of God's authority is good and central to the message of the Gospel. It's at the core of repentance that that we believe that that God's authority is good. And so, in the workplace, authority over us, having a boss is not a bad thing. 
that we can actually respond to a boss in a good way. Because at the heart of us and our sinful natures, we are rebellious. We want to, to usurp our authority. We want to go against our authority. And yet, when we properly respect our authority, when we pro- properly love and submit to our authority, we are showing that we submit to a higher authority, and that is God. And uh, so we do it through demonstration. And so in a very real way, you, you not only represent Christ to your coworkers, but to yourself as well. In the workplace, you do things that teach yourself more about who Christ is. Sometimes it's, it's through discovery. So if you're a physicist, your career is spent discovering the, the fingerprints of God throughout uh, the sciences. And as you understand more of the perfection of His creation, you're led to worship Him. So you are, are, are finding out and learning more about God. Other times it's through imitation. You know, an artist doesn't so much discover God's fingerprints as, as much as he or she follows those fingerprints. They, they, the artist sees that God is a creative God and then in so doing, the artist creates himself. And in a way, he, he mimics that communicable attribute of God, that a- attribute of creativity. God made us to image Him. And so we can, in some ways, image who God is and even in our creativity, we can do that. So in the workplace, we are Christ's representatives as we reveal Christ to our co-workers and to ourselves through gospel proclamation, confirmation, and demonstration. That will be the focus for us today. Now, that's all great in theory, but what does it look like in practice? Let me give you a phrase to sum up our approach to, to being Christ's representatives. Being Christ's representatives in the workplace is bound up in the idea of faith-fueled service. Uh, getting, getting ready to use some of my Japanese karate there. I'm sure was going to. Um, faith-fueled service. Now, that, that phrase is important. It's got two parts to it. Faith and service. We'll take one of them, uh, we'll take one of them at a time. First, faith. You remember in an earlier class we talked about how in Christ we have a new master, new assignments, new hearts, new confidence, new rewards. And so now, though we all have bosses, proximate bosses, we also have an ultimate boss. That is Jesus. That is that that no matter who you're serving, do it as to the Lord and not unto man, like Paul says in Colossians. So Jesus is your ultimate boss. But you do have a prox- approximate boss. And, and so who we're called to work for is more important than what we're called to do. Now, remember last time I said that it, it, we, there are some jobs that we can't do as Christians. Um, so, so I'm not saying that what you do is not important at all. I'm just saying that once you discover what you're supposed to do and what you actually do, then who you serve is more important than the identity that you get from your job. Okay, So, so whatever that is that you do, um, it's more important who you serve, and that is Christ. And, and that comes down to faith. That means that you need to have faith in Christ, that, that following your boss, that, that submitting yourself to your boss is a good thing, except in the cases where he tells you to 
do something that's against the Scriptures. So he says, you know, you need to lie about your sales report so that it looks better for the board. Or you need to, to lie to our customers so that we can get better sales. Um, that's the case where we need to say, you know, I would rather obey God rather than men. This is faith. This is believing. Remember what Hebrews 11.1 1 says? Faith is being sure of what we hope for and confident in, of what we do not see. We don't see Jesus there, right? When we walk into our job, we don't see Jesus standing there at the door making sure that we clock in at the proper time, making sure that, that we're you know, paying attention, that we're giving our best effort. We don't see Him there. That, that comes through faith. We believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. Hebrews 11, verse 6 tells us. And so when we, when we serve at our job through faith, we won't fudge our time card because we're look, working for the Lord who sees all. We won't complain because we trust God's purposes even in the trying situations. We won't get defensive, but instead we'll humbly accept criticism because we are exercising faith, believing that we have a higher boss than the one that, that we can see. That is the faith that is pleasing to God and that marks us out as different from the world. And ultimately, what matters in the workplace are the things you do by faith. Yes, our real boss will reward us um, even if our proximate boss does not. So if your proximate boss, that is the boss you can see, the one who gives you your paycheck, if he doesn't reward you, that's okay. Because your Heavenly Father, your Savior, Jesus Christ, sees you and He sees the job that you're doing. And He will reward you. If not in this lifetime, in the next, for sure. See, that is faith. It's believing that we have this ultimate boss that we are serving and we're going to please Him every day. Faith is understanding that who we serve is more important than what we do. Faith that our ultimate reward is than any reward in this life. So, faith-fueled service is what being Christ's representative is all about. First, faith. Second, service. Let's think about this idea of service, which we have touched on in a few previous classes as well. Now, it's true that it's more important who you serve than what you do. But, the, again, the what's not unimportant. So we could say, well, I serve Jesus, so it doesn't matter how I work. Yes, it is. The what is, in, is, is important. And so what is your assignment? in the workplace. Turn to Mark chapter 10. What is your responsibility in the workplace? Mark chapter 10, verse 42. Again, a passage we've looked at, but I, I want to remind you of this. And I, want, I want you to be confident that when you go to work tomorrow and next week and next month and next year, that you're doing it with the right motive and that you're doing um, doing it as God would have you to do it. So would someone read verses 42 through 45? 
So, Jesus kind of um, turns the tables on the disciples and their expectations of what is the greatest person or who is the greatest person. The greatest person is not the one who lords his authority over someone. The greatest person is the one who is the greatest servant. And we have that modeled for us in the person of Jesus Christ. That when He came to this earth, the last verse says there in verse 45, He did not come to be served, but to serve. He didn't come to have people bow down to Him, although that happened on occasion. His primary purpose was coming and serving them, getting down on His knees and serving them, washing the disciples' feet, caring for the needs of the people. He wasn't there making sure that He... He received all this service. And so we have that same model for us when we work. And it's not we didn't come to be their Savior, that the, our co-workers and our bosses' Savior, but we did come to serve them, just as our Savior served us. And so a normal way to do that is by giving ourselves for the good of others. So have you ever considered that your workplace, that the normal posture in your workplace ought to be one of service. That is that you ought to think about ways in which you can serve your boss, ways in which you can serve your customers, ways in which you can serve your co-workers, your investors. As Christ's servants, you are there to serve them. And isn't it easy to forget that principle when you are at the workplace. And so this leads to the gospel paradigm for our work. It is faith-fueled service. It, it sees beyond what is seen to the unseen that, that there's a future reward coming, that there is a God in heaven who expects us and demands us to work in a certain way. And it is one of service that we are willing to give ourselves for the sake of others. We're, we don't... We don't follow the model that our, that our culture promotes, which is the dog-eat-dog mentality. Okay, we're going we're gonna to tackle whoever we need to in order to climb up the ladder of prosperity. Okay, we're, we're going to remove anyone that becomes an ob- obstacle in our way. No, instead we, we serve them. That's faith-filled service. So the next question we want to answer is, how do we put it into practice? How do we put faith-filled field service into practice and I'll answer that here in just a second but do you have any questions so far do you understand where we're going here all right good let's consider a few different examples of what faith field service looks like first integrity integrity All right, can I have a few people look up verses? Jonathan, Proverbs twenty twenty three, Paul, James five twelve, Bob, Philippians two fourteen to sixteen, Bill, Genesis one twenty eight, and Margaret, Ephesians six nine. So first, integrity. Here's a good way to live out faith filled service. Be honest, because honest. Honesty is good business. There's nothing new about that and nothing really particularly Christian about that. There are lots of honest people out there who are not Christians. There are lots of companies out there who are 
far from Christian, but they recognize that honesty is a good policy for their customers. And so they work hard to, to hold that up. But that doesn't make it any less important to the Lord, the fact that it can be held up by non-Christians. All through Scripture, we read of the importance of honesty in our business dealings. So first, Proverbs twenty twenty-three. Okay, so whenever I hear those words, abomination to the Lord, my ears perk up. I want to know what that is that God hates. Because if God hates it, I should hate it too. I shouldn't make it a part of, of, of um, my practice in the way that I treat people. So in Proverbs 20, 23, it says, He doesn't like differing weights. Okay, that's the picture of how they used to buy and sell in those days. Right? They'd have those little weights, they'd put it on a scale and they'd see how much you're buying off of them. So if you're buying grain or, or some, some kind of good, you do it based on weight. And you would have um, these weights that were supposed to be standard weights, but obviously you'd have people who were selling that, that would fudge on that. They would make them out of some different material. It would look like a standard weight, but it would weigh a little bit less. And so um, Solomon's saying here, you know, God hates that. God hates the differing weights idea. We fudge just a little bit to get an advantage financially. God says, no, I, don't, I hate that. Don't do that. Honesty is a good policy. James 5.12. Okay. Oh, sorry. So let your yes be yes and your no no. If you make a promise, follow through on your promise. Okay, we, we of all people should be, should be ones who... It's easy to make a promise, right? Hey, I'll pray for you. Or, hey, I'll be there to help you whenever you need it. Or, hey, when you, once you get that project started, I'll be there. Anybody can do that. But, but a person of integrity is a person who actually follows through on that. He says, you know what? I made a promise. It's, it's actually a little bit difficult for me to follow through now because my schedule's gotten booked up, but, but I'm going to do it because I've made that promise. And that's what James is saying here. He's saying, let your yes be yes. Don't be a person who's saying, well, yeah, they promised that, but that's, they're never going to follow through on that. And I realize that in real life there are ethical challenges that are difficult to get our our hands around. If you work at an ad agency, you have to ask yourself, when does hyperbole become deceit? Or if you're renting a, an apartment to someone for way more than you'd ever charge someone else, you know, which, where do you cross the line? Where, where do you cross the line of taking advantage of someone who's ignorant and, and actually doing wise business practices to, to make sure that you're doing well for yourself? Well, three pieces of advice for you when you come across these ethical conundrums. First, don't lie. The Scriptures are clear to be honest. If you have lied, confess that that you have lied and go and make retribution. If you have um, a particularly sensitive conscience, conscience, then you'll want to check with other believers that you can trust and and make sure that they're that um, that you're not wrongly condemning yourself. Sometimes we 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 can condemn ourselves when we we haven't really done anything wrong. So make sure you have good Christian 
believers who, who can help you in that way. If you have a particularly tired conscience or one that has been seared, then you also want to have close believers that can check up on you and make sure that you're not wrongly justifying yourself. You know, oh yeah, I can do that to them. I can, I can lie in this case. We, we wouldn't say it that way. But I can fudge it a little bit in this case because... And then A, B, and C. Make sure you have good believers that know you and that can, can call you to the carpet when you're, when you're pushing, pushing the envelope too far. Second piece of advice is if your line of work is making you exercise your conscience too much, then maybe it's time for another line of work. Okay, so if you're in a business where you're constantly having to make choices of ethics, then maybe it's time to move to, to another company or another lot of work. There are jobs in this city that maybe not inherently sinful, but it will put us in a position where we have to keep making these ethical choices and, um, and why put ourselves into constant temptation when there are jobs out there that, that will not uh, push us that far. Thirdly, seek out jobs where integrity drives profit. Okay, so we, it's hard to know this going in. You can't sit down at your interview and say, hey, do you guys, do you guys use lies to generate profit? you guys fudge numbers in order to make, make a living here? Because I don't want to be a part of it if you do. They're not going to tell you. Okay? Obviously, if they do that, they're going to lie to you. Um, but you will know that once you start working for a while, won't you? And so, find a company that you can work for where, where integrity drives profit. We're, we're going to be honest here. And that's, where, that's how we're going to make our money. See if you can work at a place where your conscience is valued and not treated as an obstacle to get, get um, done what is needed. Secondly, so integrity. Secondly, how do we live out faith field service? Secondly, contentedness or contentment. What a powerful witness you can have at your workplace if you are the person who doesn't grumble and complain. Who's got Philippians two fourteen to sixteen? Okay, these verses actually help us see this faith-filled service because it tells us something that's, that's near to us, that's, that, that's a, a direct command. Do not do things with grumbling or complaining. Okay, but it also helps us to see the bigger picture so that you will shine as light in the darkness. You see how that, that speaks to the gospel? That's what I was talking about before, the confirmation or the demonstration of the gospel. It, you shine out in your workplace when you are the person who doesn't grumble and complain because you know what? Everybody else is going to do that. They're going to be frustrated with their boss. They're going to be frustrated with their hours. But if you're the person who, who is above that because you are operating on principles that are seeking to please Christ, you will stand out like lights in the darkness. And then what, what was that verse 16 again? 
Okay, so you see how that points us forward to the day of Christ. You're not living just for now and the troubles that come and the frustrations that come in your job now. You're living for the day when you will stand before Christ. And, and Christ won't forget that. When you hold your tongue, when you want to complain. I used the illustration when I was in Japan of, um, I think it was C.S. Lewis that, that gave this illustration of a man who was on his way to receive an inheritance of $100 billion, something hard to fathom. And on his way, his, his um, horse and carriage broke down. The wheel fell off, and he's only a mile away from, from receiving that inheritance. And he, he's frustrated. He's mad. He's complaining. He's, he's so mad at the situation. And yet, only a mile away, his inheritance is waiting for him. That's how we live when we live in this world grumbling and complaining. God has hold, held out for us this great inheritance. And He says, come and get it. It's coming to you in the next life. And yet, we, when, when the troubles of life cause our carriage, our spiritual carriage, so, so to speak, to break down, we grumble and complain say, how could this possibly be? And God's saying, do you realize what you have? Do you realize? You're, you're almost there. Keep running. Don't complain. The secret to contentment is to trust God's good purposes no matter the circumstances. Easy to say. Hard to do. Right? That's faith-filled service. It's saying, God, I am content with what you've given to me. And I'm not going to complain. Instead, I'm going to trust you to see the bigger picture uh, or, or to accomplish the bigger picture even though I can't fully see it. Uh, I was reading the, the book American Sniper on the way uh, over to Japan. And one of the illustrations he said is that when he was out on the battlefield, Chris Kyle, he said, when I was out on the battlefield, I didn't really see the big picture of the battle. They would just tell me about my little responsibility and so I would just try to carry that out. And he said it was often like looking at a, at a glorious painting through the eye of a straw. And that's often the way it is with the Christian life. There, there's this great painting that God has, has put on display. We can't see it all. We can only see our little, our little section, right? And sometimes it's dark and dreary. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But that's faith. It's believing that God has the bigger picture and it's beautiful. That's the key to contentment, trusting God. Number three, authority. Again, I touched on this earlier, but I think this is a big one. We need to, to park on this for just a second. Okay, authority. I should say, for a few minutes, not just a second. Our attitude toward authority is huge in making us faithful representatives of Christ. If you want to be a person who operates at your workplace with faith-fueled service, you need to have a proper understanding and a, a proper uh, perspective about authority. So first I'm going to talk through, through our relationship to those over whom we have authority. So if you're a boss, you have people that work under you, then I'm talking to you. Okay, then we'll get to the other part, which is those of us who have bosses. All right, so first, faith-filled service to those whom God has placed under our authority. 
if you're in a position of, of authority, then recognize that you are a steward of the, the authority that God has given to you. And so as a boss, or a husband, or a mother, or a government official, you have the opportunity to say something about God by how you use your authority to the people that God has placed under you. You have an opportunity to show the blessing that authority can be. Show them that, hey, you know, following authority is not a bad thing. Having a boss is not a bad thing because God is our ultimate boss and He's a good boss. He's a good God. Teach them that the authority is a good thing by the way that you treat them. And so if you have people that work under you, be thankful that God has given you that position and pray that He would help you to be a proper authority. Genesis 1.28 Who had that? Bill? You know, if God wanted to, He could have made every single creature directly answer to Him. But instead, what He did was He chose for man to have authority over other men and over the animals. God could have just said, listen, all of you come to Me. But instead, He said, "He said, I'm going to make you authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, everything that that crawls on the ground and then over time we see in Genesis 9 and so on that God would set up a government which would be a good thing that would be used to to uh, promote good and to suppress evil. So we as image bearers are representatives of God and we can properly exercise His authority. Now this doesn't mean that we are the ultimate authority. God still is the ultimate authority. But He has chosen for some of you to have authority over other people. And so when you use your authority well, when you use it to bless that person, okay, back to the service part, okay, when you use your authority to actually serve them, that says something about your God, doesn't it? It says something about your faith in your God. So use your authority well so that people know that God's authority is good. Listen, listen to Ephesians 6, 9. Okay, so treat your slaves well, masters. And earlier in Ephesians 6, he said, Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Don't lead them to anger. Okay, instead, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Be a good father to them. Why? Well, because we want to... We want to. We don't want them to have a bad taste in their mouth about what authority is and what about what a father is. Do you realize, fathers, that you borrow one of the names of God as your title in your home? God is our Father, all of our fathers, all who know Christ. And at the same time, we are called small f fathers, right? And so, do you see how kids can make the connection? 
that, that when they think about God as their father, do you know what the first connection they're going to make is? Not the father down the street. Not, not the father at church necessarily, although we should be good examples for other children in our church, but, but primarily your own father is the one you think about, isn't it? And, and how you think of your father is going to have an effect on how you think about God, whether good or bad. Think about it for yourself. Think about how you have, in some cases, wrongly accused God of doing something that He doesn't do or having an attitude toward you that He doesn't have. See, uh, imbalance as a father or as a boss is, is a, not a good thing because, because it actually affects the way people think about their God. So we want to be good representatives of Christ by trying our best to, to mimic our Father, our ultimate boss. So give yourself for the sake of, your, of the people that work for you. Serve them. Try to take responsibility for your employees. Take responsibility for your own actions. Pray for them. Encourage them. Let them know that you're praying for them. Look out for them. Coach them. Help them to know how they can be a successful worker for you. Make it clear that you're interested in their lives outside of work. Model a culture of generosity with your time. Look for articles and books that might help them. Seek ways in which you can do like Christ did for His, the people who are under Him. That is, serving them. What, what ways can you serve the people that work for you? So, so our authority um, is important when we use it for the people underneath us, those who, whom God has placed underneath us. Secondly, faith-filled service to those above us. Okay, so even if you're a boss, you most likely have someone over you, someone who, whom you answer to. Okay, so whether that be uh, your customers... You know, maybe you're self-employed. Your customers, you answer to them. Or if you're an associate to your partner, or if you're a, even if you're a CEO of a company, you still answer to the board of directors or to the shareholders. So what does faith field service look like when you have an authority over you? And it's going to involve all the things that I'm talking about this morning, but specific to authority, it will most likely involve a posture of... Here's that word that makes us cringe, submission. A posture of submission with our hearts. Now, I know it's not easy to serve bosses. I, too, have a boss. I have had lots of bosses. It's not easy. So how do we handle bosses who are difficult? How do we handle submission to a boss who is a little bit unfair? Well, we need to realize how important submission is. It is. First Peter is a book that helps us in this regard. And so if, if you struggle in this area, I just encourage you to, to think through that. Because Peter's goal in writing is to help Christians know how to handle suffering and still commend the gospel. And you know how he, he attacks that idea? How do we handle suffering? We make sure 
that we submit to our authorities. And so he talks in First Peter about submitting to the government, submitting to our elders, submitting to our bosses, wives submitting to your husbands. He talks about all of those ways in which we can live out this commendation of the Gospel. Again, just like our responsibility to not complain or not to grumble, this is something pretty straightforward which actually can cause and bring about something amazing. Because when you do good work, even when your boss is an idiot, that stands out. That says something about who you really serve. If you've worked for any period of time, certainly you've had a difficult boss. And how you respond to his treatment, or should I say mistreatment of you, will speak to how much you trust God. Remember the big picture versus what you can see. If all you're focusing is on is your boss and his unreasonable claims and expectations, then, then you, by your actions and by your lack of submission, actually show that you don't trust God as much as you say you do. A couple more here, and then we'll talk about how it affects our evangelism. Number four, creativity. Creativity. One way to submit to your boss is to think about how you can free up your boss or to be creative, to help your boss, to, to, to make his job joyful and not a burden. It's another way that you can represent Christ by using this image, this communicable attribute that God has given to each one who's created in His image, the, the, the idea of creativity, and use it to ways in ways that will advance your boss or advance your company. That means taking risks. That means not just bringing problems to your boss, but bringing solutions. That's creativity at work. I, I've told you before, but the owner of our company, Sam Dawson, he, he loved it when his people would come to him with solutions and not just problems. Right? Anybody can come to the boss with problems, but, but what about a solution for that problem? And so be that kind of a person. Number five, humility. Many problems at work stem from feeling like something we've been asked to do is beneath us. Right? I don't deserve that. That's, some, that's somebody else's job. But in Philippians 2, as, as Bob read earlier, um, you know, we should not grumble and complain. But before that, we had the example of Christ. That, that we need to take His example of humility, which was to humble Himself and become obedient even to death on the cross. Our identity and our final reward is not wrapped up in where we work, is it? Aren't you thankful for that? Our identity and our final reward is wrapped up in what God has promised to us. And so, if someone gives you a task that seems to be below you, then think about it in terms of the bigger perspective. What has Christ called me to do? Can I do this to the glory of God? We need to come to a place where we find our worth in Christ's work and our identity in Him, and that will free us to serve in whatever role or capacity that the Lord might have for us in full confidence that He knows exactly what He's doing with our time and talents for His glory.
again, we don't always see the big picture. When I say the phrase, wax on, wax off, what do you think of? Okinawa. No, not they weren't in Okinawa. That was back in, in uh, California. But that is Mr. Miyagi, right? And Karate Kid. What, what I, I paint your house, paint your fence, wax your cars. I'm doing all this work for you. And for what? I thought I was supposed to be training. And then he starts showing them that all these things actually uh, work towards his training. He, he was building muscles that he's going to need to, to defend himself. See, that, that's the idea, is that, that we don't always see the big picture. And that's why it's important for us to be humble and, and recognize that we may not have all the answers, right, at our job. We may not have all the answers, and our boss might actually know a little bit more than we do. And certainly God does when He's called us to whatever task that He has. So, be humble. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Philippians 2 says, but in humility... Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So, we represent Christ in the workplace through integrity, contentment, authority, creativity, and humility. Um, We're not going to have time to get into... uh, how this affects our evangelism, but but I've touched on it already, so hopefully you picked up on some of that. That that as Bob read in Philippians two, that it causes us to shine like lights in the darkness. The way that you live and work is going to say something about who you serve. And so do your job, whether it be at a place where you get money for it or whether it be at home. Do your job with faith-fueled service. Any questions or comments? Okay, next time we want to talk about balance because we don't want to make our job an idol, but we also don't want to be idle at our job. Remember, those are kind of the two, um, the two uh, extremes that we can go to. We make an idol of our job or we become idle at our job. So... If, if we're over here, we've got to be careful because we have other responsibilities. Remember, our primary call is to what? Not to the specific job. What is it to? Discipleship. Right? It's to learning and knowing about Christ. So how does that work when we have responsibility at a workplace, at home, at church, with it, as a citizen? How does that work? How do we have balance? That's what we want to talk about next week. So... I uh, look forward to uh, working with that, through, uh, with that, uh, with you, or through that with you. And um, so let me pray, and we'll be dismissed. Father, we're thankful for um, the example that you've given us in Jesus Christ, how you want us to live and serve. And uh, Lord, we're thankful that that He did not come with an air of arrogance. He of all people could have demanded whatever he pleased from his subjects, but instead he came and bent his knee, humbled himself, and and served them. And we want to we want to have that kind of vision that Jesus had that looked beyond what was seen to the unseen. 
And so we pray that you'd help us at our workplace and in our home and at church. In Jesus' name, amen.